Greetings and salutations, uh, and we are doing a very impromptu five-minute freak for you, and I'm Scott McGregor, Scott 2.0, joined, actually recruited tonight by uh, Mr. Brian Hughes, who hey. I collaborate on other things with, and uh, he, he messaged me a little while ago and said, hey, you want to do some recording? And I'm like, sure, what are we talking about? And he's like, we should talk about Superman on Supergirl, and I'm like, yes, yes, we should. And so I guess that's what we're going to do. Um, if you haven't been paying attention to the second season of Supergirl, um, we just started over on, uh, it was on CBS and it moved over to CW. And our first two episodes of the new season had an actual first time in a long time, real live Superman on, on the show played by a Taylor Hochin. Was it Taylor? Tyler. Tyler Hochin. And we just wanted to uh, talk about a little bit what we feel about that as as Superman fans and, and comic book property fans, and and I, I'm completely unprepared for this, so it's your party, Brian. I'm going to let you kind of take it from here. <laughs> you know, we have seen so many versions of Superman on TV, and in the last three decades, uh, four decades. Uh, you know, the, the litmus test for Superman has always been Christopher Reeve. In a way, yeah. I, I, a lot of people, I guess it is kind of for me, because that was, you know, kind of almost my first Superman at, you know, eight, nine years old, was I? Well, you know, I, I saw George Reeves when yeah. I was a kid, but, you know, it, even then, I wasn't, I, I probably watched a hundred episodes of The Adventures of Superman. Yeah, but, you know, I watched that because we had four channels and that was what was on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and too. as much as I enjoyed comic books and I enjoyed the Superman comic books, I, I was always wanting more. I, I said, "This is Superman. He's got these great powers." And yet, you know, on the TV show, when it was a standard, you know, Superman versus the bad guy episode with George Reeves, I, you know, was like, huh, you know, bored with it. But when it was one of those, you know, better ones, like the villain steal his costume or yeah. he loses his memory or, you know, he finds out how to go through a wall, that had my attention. There was something, yeah. you know, just like tipping it on on its on its end and giving you a different thing. And it was amazing that they would do something like that in 1950s television. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I guess I didn't give it as much thought when I was younger because, you know, or I just don't remember because it was a hundred years ago now. <laughs> yeah. um, or almost half that anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did grow up on Adventures of Superman. I guess I should put out my Superman creds here. I, I never really watched any Smallville. I, I never watched very much Lois and Clark, but I caught enough that I did enjoy it. And so I probably have less of a TV Superman experience than you do, but well, you know, it, as I was saying when talking about George Reeves, while he was the TV Superman of that day and he was very popular, uh, he, I just looked at him and I said he doesn't look like Superman to me. He just doesn't, and you know, I find years later that he had some padding in the costume. Uh, really? Still, he was a big guy. He, he good-looking guy as far as everybody's concerned, but I wanted to see the curl. Now that wasn't yeah. that wasn't the requirement, but I wanted to see that, and I wanted to see him looking more like Superman. He he was big, but he wasn't the muscular Superman that you know that, that we see the well-defined Neil Adams or John Byrne kind of you know look look about them. Um, I might be a little weird that way because I always I thought maybe he was too big to be Superman. I've always hmm. kind of envisioned Superman as not needing to be particularly cut muscle wise. I mean, and I think maybe that was part of the character's appeal to me because he, he was still super strong but didn't necessarily have to be steroid gym guy to get there. Yeah, because he got all his powers from her son, obviously. So <laughs> yeah, um, well, not that I'm opposed to well cut Superman by any means. I think you know Henry Cavill rocks the suit pretty well. Um, writing problems be damned, but uh, yeah, I mean I never really 
it was never a requirement for me to have my Superman be a big beefy guy. I well, guess. And and I agree. <laughs> you know, that's that is yeah. that's good. But when Christopher Reeve did it, you know, he sat there and he really worked to to get you know the the muscles and everything, and he did it in a really interesting way using trampolines and weights and all that mm-hmm. to get himself in that in that kind of shape, and it worked. And he let the costume do the job because the costume for that Superman movie was perfect. Yeah, yeah. And and his frame filling it was perfect. That was the problem that Brandon Routh had being Superman in Superman Returns is that his frame didn't fill the costume out so you could get the right sized S. So the S looked small. Then they gave him those funky, tiny, almost Speedo type trunks on there, you know, kind of ruining the effect of of Superman's appearance, and then they gave him like a what, what I would almost call a deflated rubber raft as a cape. Yeah, and I wasn't a big fan of the whole leather S shield thing. Yeah, that they had going on. And Dean, uh, with Dean Cain, um, he was so short. You know, he's he's like five ten, I think. Yeah. And you saw that. You know, most of the guys that they, you know, guy actors back then, they like them six feet taller, taller. So, yeah. uh, you know, they, it's almost like they had to put him on a crate just to sit there and kiss Lois. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gerard Christopher and John Hames Newton, who played Superboy in the the 80s, uh, they actually had, I think Gerard Christopher probably had the better Superman costume. Than, I forgot uh, about that show. I, I'm sure I caught some of that show, too, because I used to be a pretty big Superboy fan right. when I would pick up a comic or two. Well, you know, the funny thing is Gerard Christopher, you know, he was the second Superboy. John Hames mm-hmm. Newton did it for the first season, and then he left. I don't know why, but he uh, he left the show, and Gerard Christopher came in, and he's a little smaller than than John Hames Newton, but he he did definitely played the part right. He he understood the character, and so when they started casting for Lois and Clark, he went in there, and the producers were just all like, "Oh, this is great! This guy's perfect! This guy's great!" They'd never watched Superboy. Mm-hmm. And so when they found out that he had done that, said, you've done this before. We want somebody else. <laughs> and, you know, along comes Dean Kane. And Dean Kane, while he had the right look and everything, and he, he had the perfect hair, too. He was, in my mind, just too small. And they never got his costume right until the much later in the se- later seasons. Mm-hmm. But they moved the Lois and Clark relationship along too far too fast. Yeah, I, and, and yeah. they moonlighted the show. I mean, it was it was moonlighting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that from the the episodes that I saw. That it was. Yeah, I think that maybe turned me off a little bit. It's like a little less of the the lovey dovey office stuff, and you know, a little yeah. more flying around and punching things <laughs> would be nice. I think with Superman, at least for me, it's it's more about the face. I don't care what body you put him on. It's it's more you got to have that square jaw to a certain extent. Yeah. And just a good, you know, uh, kind of classic man, good looks type thing. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because like John Hay Newton, he was very jowly. Right? Mm-hmm. He had that real thick neck and uh, he didn't look like like Superman to me or Superboy or Superman. Whereas Gerard Christopher definitely looked like Superboy, but I never saw him as being Superman. I think for me, I mean, you said that Chris Reeves is kind of the gold standard. Uh, my experience with like the comics is a little limited. I said, I, as I've said on other podcasts, I was never like a steady collector until like the early nineties, um, except for the eighties X Men. I mean, that was my main thing. Yeah. Um, Claremont and Burn X Men. Mm-hmm. But um, I when I, when I was a real little kid, I got this you know this big thick book that was the uh, you know Superman from the 30s to the 70s. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm familiar with that. that yeah, time. and so that was and that's just a wealth of Superman knowledge right there. But so that's kind of my iconic Superman until Chris Reeve came along, and that was close enough to that to keep me happy. Well, the the 30s to the 70s. So you got to read the early Siegel and Schuster. Yeah. The Wayne Boring stuff, and then when Kurt Swan came in. And, you know, that that was, you know, that you had all that golden, silver age goodness, even some bronze age fun in there. Um, but, you know, I mean, w- w- when you see Kurt Swan Superman, 60s and 70s Kurt Swan, you know, was great. 
Mm-hmm. But, well, yeah, Silver Age was was my thing. The silliness of it, and you know, just the the wackiness of it, and yeah. But when you got into eighties, uh, you know, it got stale, and it was bringing in other guys like Ross Andrew and Gil Kane and and others to to do the art that gave Superman a little bit more dynamism. Of course, when John Byrne came in and rebooted it. His, yeah. Man, his Man of Steel series screamed Christopher Reeve. Yeah, that, and that's my, I mean, I made a conscious decision to start collecting again, you know, then with John Byrne, because, mostly because of John Byrne. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of my gold standard almost as far as Superman. And it, yeah, it was very Reeve. Um, and I think they've done that with the new one. And it's a callback to it, and there's a lot of callbacks to it. It's yeah, but it's you know it's it's more of a nice homage than say the Superman Returns direct line to it. I think. Yeah, yeah. But going forward now, since then we've had you know Tom Welling as you know Clark Kent for ten seasons and Superman for five seconds. Yeah, yeah. And not actually see him in the costume because he refused to be in the costume. He yeah. had it in his contract that he would never be in the costume. So I'm not a, sure why you hire that guy then, but I mean. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing is, is it's like when, when they made the Flash TV series in, uh, with uh, John Wesley Shipp, he had it in his contract that he had to have X amount of FaceTime yeah. in every well, episode. Like... You could have him in the Flash costume, but he had to have the FaceTime. And they even, I think, had a stipulation that said he had to be out of his shirt at least once an episode. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> hey, my, my sister-in-law was sitting there just really glowing on him. So I was like, yeah. okay, it must, uh, hey, if it, if it makes other people than just us geeks watch it, that's great. Right, and, you know, as, just from a practical point as an actor, you, you need to sell your brand, too, for the next, it didn't do John Wesley ship a hell of a lot of good, but <laughs> as well, far as his career. Was, but He was on that same show with uh, <laughs> old Dennis Fran showing his butt all the time. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it was funny, because like in the first episode, he said, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, you got all these new clothes, and he says, yeah, but they took away my flash money. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I thought that, that. that's what the TV does that a lot, and I love that they do that. They they let actors make little, you know, write them little callbacks to other things they've done. Uh, we just got one on on the most recent Arrow, actually, that I just watched. Oh yeah, where uh, Oliver Queen, one of his new team members, uh, wears a hockey mask, and of course he played uh, Casey Jones in the most recent Turtles movie. So he <laughs> made some comment about. Or somebody, one of his other team members is like, you know, w- w- you know, where'd you come up with why a hockey mask? And Oliver's just like, I think it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. My favorite yeah. one of those was actually on Mad About You. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah, uh, Paul, for a Paul, while. Yeah, Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. You make an Aliens remark or something? You know, the guy that's the mayor on... Yeah, it's the Aliens reference. You know what I'm talking about? No, no, but... Okay, but uh, you know the guy that's the mayor on Gotham, or had been the mayor on Gotham? He was on Mad About You. And he was Paul Reiser's character's uh, acquaintance buddy. I think it was uh, the the wife's partner's friend. Anyway, but it's someone he had to spend a lot of time around. And the guy had left his wife, and then he'd come back, and everybody's asking him, what happened, where'd you go, why, and all that. And... And he's talking to Paul Reiser, and he goes, did you ever see the the Alien movies? And Reiser goes, just the first one. <laughs> nice. And I just, that that was my favorite little Easter egg callback. Yeah, that's cool. Yes. But uh, again, moving ahead, you know, Tom Welling, you know, he, he had the look, he had the frame, he had everything, but we never got to see that real last Superman moment. I never... You know, in deference to Trentus Magnus, I never felt like he was my Superman yet. And getting into the last season, I was sitting there going, okay, we're getting close, we're getting close. But I never really felt it. It just didn't hit me. You know, when I first heard about it, I mean, I was kind of jazzed because I figured it would end up being kind of a Superboy show, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But... You know, then I, I think I let it go for a while to see, you know, where I was going and read up on it. And then it's like, well, we're like six seasons and 
he's still not rocking a suit at all or anything. Yeah, and and <laughs> but you're you know, bringing in like the entire Justice Society and Justice League, and but Superman still isn't suited up. I just no. <laughs> but the, again, in the series, you know, they did things that they felt were necessary with the character to take him on the journey. Yeah. And it, there were so many episodes where, through action or inaction, a character would die. Right. Now, he didn't directly kill them, but there was a lot of people that died around Clark yeah. in, in that series. And there was a lot of moral happenstance on the show where he would do something that Superman just wouldn't do. And that's why I haven't gotten into Gotham kind of for the same reason because you know if that thing goes like 10 years and Bruce still hasn't suited up then they're, it's just dead to me <laughs> well I mean come on he's I don't know 11 or 12 years old right now maybe 13 right. uh, you know the kid is growing up right there on screen in front of us it's not like Carl on, on yeah. uh, Walking Dead and it's not like the kid on Lost which by far that was the best handling of that situation I've ever seen on a TV show. Yeah. Um, but with, you know, with Gotham, you know, it's going to be a year-by-year year thing. And instead of getting, you know, the, the problem with Tom Welling, of course, was he was 25 when he was playing a 16-year-old. Yeah. And he's 35 when he's playing, you know. The Grease Syndrome, I call that, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is John Travolta's 25-year-old high school senior yeah <laughs> you know but it's funny uh olivia newton john made a more convincing 18 year old high school student at 30 than yeah. john travolta did at 25 yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my opinion i could be wrong but you know uh, saying all that tom welling you know he had the look he had the stature uh they tried to do a lot with him but he never felt like superman he felt like Clark Kent, and yeah. and that's that's what they did, and that's what we got. So you know, and, and then when we got Henry Cavill, you know, when he is, when they give him the right material, I think he's got it. When, when he, just those few moments when they had him flying, those few moments when he's sitting there walking in a costume, you can see he was letting the costume do the work. Yeah, I was I was very excited when I first heard about his casting because I had just been watching him on, on the Tudors on yeah. HBO, mm -hmm. and it, you could just the guy just exudes you know charisma and you right. know what great was, smile and you know the whole nine yards everything you need in a Superman. What was that Greek god movie that he was in? Oh, with Mickey Rourke and I don't know. But, oh but, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I sit there looked at him and that, and I go, "That is Superman. He could be Superman." Yeah. And you know, they they did make him different from any Superman I've seen, and they wrote him in such a way. I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> I can see what you're trying, and I, I enjoyed it, but that's not my Superman. Yeah, I like Man of Steel a lot, and some of it. That they're just very. Most of my nitpicks with it are a uh, big one is the pot can't how they wrote him. Um, I'm not going to tread over that ground oh, again. Yeah, but. and I understand that completely. <laughs> I understand that completely. Uh, I, I did like virtually every conversation that went on between Superman and the military. Yeah, I and, yeah. and Superman and Lois in in Man of Steel. Not so much in in Batman v Superman. My, my mm -hmm. thoughts on that are out there already, yeah. but. Moving on, though, when we saw Tyler as Superman, the first thing you realized is that there was a joy to the character. Yeah. And that is something that's been missing from Superman for 30 years. Yeah, and I, I read an argument the other day, you know, that it's like, well, yeah, Cavell's Superman is just starting out. Tyler's, you know, has been at it for 10 years, so of course everybody loves him now and blah, blah, blah. And, well, you know, it's not even about that. It's no. just about how you would inhabit the character and how the character is written. And as you said, they wrote that character with, you know, I, I took it as someone who still takes his responsibilities as you know, probably one of the supreme beings on this planet, very seriously. Yeah. And it's uh, it's even mentioned, almost a throwaway line, that, you know, not everyone is a huge fan of him. You know, Hank Henshaw, you know, says, uh, you know, not everyone loves your cousin as much as you think they do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really, 
I, I almost wish that they would have talked about uh, the one fight between Superman and the Martian Manhunter that I ever saw. And that was in DC Comics Presents uh, 27, I think. Mm-hmm. Where uh, that was the the introduction of Mongol the Merciless mm, to the yep. DC Universe. Uh, Jim Starlin doing the artwork. And there, basically, John is on Mars guarding the crystal key to War World. And yep. Mongol has forced Superman by taking Lois Lane, Steve Lombard, and Jimmy Olsen, I think, uh, hostage. Basically, tell Superman, you've got to go get this crystal key for me. And so Superman basically says, well, I'm Superman. I will do this, and then I'll stop Mongol. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was kind of, it was, I think Len Wein wrote it. And it was one of those things where, you know, Superman, it, you could see that, that there was a an, an almost arrogance to him in the way he's been written. But it made sense. He'd been Superman for so long, he felt that he could take on pretty much anything. And he goes, I can do it. I'm Superman, after all, aren't I? Yeah. And he wound up fighting John and beating the ever-loving crap out of John. Then getting tricked by Mongol. Mongol takes the key, goes and brings out Warworld. Uh, Superman and Supergirl actually have to go and destroy Warworld. Mm-hmm. And in that process, Supergirl winds up going so fast, knocking herself out in the process, going so fast she breaks the barriers of time, space, reality, and keeps going. And Superman has to find her and stop her in, in that point coming across the specter. Because mm-hmm. he basically he came one barrier away from seeing God. Right. <laughs> and just a great storyline. But, you know, the the fight between him and John, that was the, the one time I'd seen them at, at, you know, at odds. And before they ever came up with another storyline where John could sit there and go to Superman and say, you know, that was really crappy what you did to me. <laughs> we had Crisis on Infinite Earths and, you know, the Justice League reboots and we don't ever get to follow up on that story. But so you know, I would have liked them to at least reference like that story rather than it's the DEO that's housing Kryptonite. Yeah, but I think that worked. Uh, that that it, was a logical yeah. it you know, does, but, conflict you know, for the two of them. Why isn't Supergirl upset about it? Because yeah. it helps her in her training. Well, I think she's she's a little more invested. And here's some spoilers for Supergirl first season, and people haven't watched it. Uh, but, you know, she's a little more <coughs> boots on the ground as far as fighting other Kryptonians. So I think she's a little more aware that they need things that are able to stop them. And uh, I was a little surprised at how they ended uh, the, the the two shows and Supergirl with um, the way they did. I don't know how much we want to spoil on it on this. Uh, we want to do just mostly our impressions, but yeah, I think we should stick um, with that. I always thought that it would Superman himself would, you know, and they've gone over this with things like uh, Batman. What was it like the Tower of Babel run or something that he he knew you know he he was gathering how to secrets on how to beat all his fellow yeah um the doom storyline yeah all his fellow justice leaguers and i always thought that superman would be aware enough that you know he would be okay with that um in my mind if i was superman i'd be like i want someone to be able to take me down in case i go crazy well you know uh paul denny and alex ross had done uh one of their giant coffee table books Mm-hmm. And in it is one of the stories where Superman's gone nuts, and Batman has to use the kryptonite that Superman gave him. Yeah, yeah, just I've read case, other. Just in case he, you know, he'd ever done that. That, that, um, you know, post-crisis. I mean, there was post-crisis storyline where you know Lex Luthor had gotten his hands on kryptonite from Metallo. Yeah, and he made that signet ring that he, that he wore and cost him his hand, but he had a, a giant chunk of kryptonite. And ultimately, Batman gets a, a, well, Batman and Superman come across it. Superman basically says, Batman, I want you to have it. Yeah. The one person I trust with it. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I mean, yeah, Batman is going to know how to defeat Superman. It makes sense that Batman's going to try and figure out how to defeat everybody else. I just don't think Superman would sit there and say, yeah, but wait, uh, defeat, yeah, but why kill? Right, but... If that's like the only, uh, you know, apart from Batman learning the mystic arts all of a sudden, what else has he got, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
But, you know, still looking at, at this episode, uh, the relationship with him and, and John aside, uh, I love that moment when they both come flying in. Yeah. And she says, hey, everybody, it's and, you know, they already know who it is. Right. Yeah. And they show that that austere that awe of yeah. him coming yeah. in there. She comes in every day. She's just like him. And in fact, in some ways, she's more powerful because right. she's younger and her body processes the sun's rays more efficiently than his body. I yeah, don't know it's if been established knows. she's faster, too, apparently. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's. You know, the, it, it's she's raised the flash already. He hasn't. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that, and, and it'll happen again. <laughs> yeah. This, but just his unveiling there, and every time he was on screen, they treated him like he was Superman. Yeah, there, there wasn't that moment where he was treated like a man. He was Superman, and you didn't see that. You never saw that on Smallville. Yeah, because everybody around Clark on Smallville had just as much doubts about Clark that Clark had in himself. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the joy. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. my main impression from those two episodes was just that's how I had you know lump in my throat kind of stuff. You know, it was just I, I think I I, I de-aged about twenty five years, which was nice. There's <laughs> well, more a like. 35 years. <laughs> There's a deleted scene from Superman the movie mm -hmm. that uh, if you got, sure if you got the Blu-ray yeah. or if you watch the, the K-Cop version or, or whatever, you, you'll see it. But it's basically Superman talking to Jor-El after that very first night where he gets revealed to Metropolis. And he's talking about how it felt good that everybody was you know reacting to him the way that they were. Yeah, you know, and and he felt guilty about that, but you know the thing is, what Jor-El told him basically is that it's okay to be happy that you're doing good for others. Yeah, just I don't know if I have ever seen that. That's cool. And well, it it, it has this really weird moment at the very end where Jor-El says, "If only," and he steps out of that crystal chamber, whatever it is that he watched him through, and it's like a hologram walking towards Superman, saying, "If only I could just hold you in my arms and make everything okay." And yeah. Superman holds out his arms, but obviously they can't ever touch him. And he's just sitting there looking at his hands like, what am I doing? Yeah. But it was him uh, trying to come to terms with, you know, enjoying helping people, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they did a really good callback to that in one of the first Supergirls, too, then, when she was trying to, you know, she told her mother hologram that she would like a hug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you watched every other Superman movie after that. And, yeah. you know, they made a point of it. Whenever they show him saving somebody and, you know, like he'll be flying away and someone says, thank you. And he just gets that big smile on his face yeah. as he's waving and going off. And that's the joy of being Superman. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the comics, in the, the Silver Age, the, the, the Golden Age, Silver Age and Bronze Age, Superman always had the, the, the death of his parents looming over his head. The fact that he could never save them both, that he couldn't. You know, do anything about it. It happened. He tried to save them, and they died. And you know that was always the difference between the Superman comics and the Superboy and the Legion comics. Mm -hmm. Superboy's in the future, you know, fighting with the Legion, but he never looked at anything about his past because he didn't want to know what happened. Yeah. And when he finds out uh, in in the Legion story, he finds out, you know, how his how Ma and Pa Kent died. He could no longer be a part of the Legion. He could no longer stay in the future because he lost the joy of of you know being Superboy with the Legion. Yeah. And he went back to his time. And, and back then, the rules of time travel is you didn't remember anything. You didn't age or anything when you time traveled. You come back and you're just like you were when you left. Mm, okay. So you know he could come back and he didn't remember you know any of that. He doesn't know that his parents are going to die when they go on the cruise or you know whatever. And so, you know, the Superman in the comics for a long time was missing that joy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when John Byrne did his reboot, he left Mom Pa Ken alive. Yeah. And so Superman had that joy. When they did Chris Reeve as Superman, they found a way of, of distancing him far enough from the death and showing that it wasn't his fault, though he didn't. It was a, a good plot motivator for him to, you know, save Lois, that, you know, all those powers and he couldn't do anything to save him. 
but it didn't take away from his joy. Mock Kent was still around, and he was just reveling in in being able to help people. Yeah, yeah. Anyone he, I mean, that was very important to the Superman the movie story. Is the whole line of well, and Jarrell instructing him, you cannot mess with you know human history, and and him struggling over that, and then him ultimately becoming a flawed hero and altering human history. Right. You know, um, I was getting into it online with someone about this the other day, and they were talking about how stupid the whole turn the world back, you know, by <laughs> to turn time back. And, yeah, it was cheesy. Uh, okay, uh, can I can I just end the, that argument altogether? Yeah. All right. Yes, they depicted him going around the world – it depicted the world going backwards, but it wasn't a literal because right, the earth turned backwards, time went right, backwards. Right. It was the yeah, actual we, act of what he was doing, the speed that he was traveling, and other other factors in what he, how he was doing things that was yeah, making and, time go backwards. And we, we got to that point in this discussion, and, but my, and he's like, well, it's still stupid, you know, time travel. And I'm like, no, but it makes sense in the context of the story because his father had instructed him not to do that. So obviously Kryptonian science must have figured out that he could do that. Well, you know? I'll give you one, <laughs> one further that will fry most people's noodle. Uh, probably not, not the normal listeners here, but the – the helicopter scene in Superman the movie uh-huh. should really have turned off a lot of uh, a lot of watchers that had any understanding of physics. Well, yeah, but... because the moment that he grabs the, the the leg of the helicopter and is able to support it by that, yeah, you know the no. the, the average person with a, a knowledge of physics will say no it's going to bend break under its own weight Lois is going to die when she runs into Superman's body right. she's falling no, we, we comic fans have learned to throw physics out the window a long time ago but no 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 there's an explanation okay <laughs> and it goes back to John Byrne's reboot of Superman Superman's powers are not based on just physical attributes it's not super strength and super speed and and it's not heat vision. It is all psionic. So okay. when Superman grabs any item, it is now, now under his tactile telekinesis control. Right, okay. Yeah, I remember something like that, that they even, somebody, I don't maybe it was Byrne, that went so far as like he has an energy field around him. Yeah, almost. well, well we, yeah. we all have an aura Yeah. that yeah. keeps small amounts of dust and other things off of us. Otherwise... Yeah, we'd be a mess. We all have that. It's a little electrochemical aura that's, that surrounds us. He just yeah. took his and gave it a lot more strength to it, obviously, and gave other things into it. You know, that's what keeps him invulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so he can wear normal clothes. As long as they're tight-fitting, they won't be hurt by bullets right. or anything. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so that was able to show why – that tells us why he was able to, to – Number one, catch Lois when he's flying so fast up and she's falling at, at you know terminal velocity and she doesn't. Yeah, die. yeah, she should have been like and she hits his an armful of squishy stuff, you know. By the time, yeah, right. And so <laughs> when he grabs the helicopter by that leg, instead of it falling under its own weight, it's supported by his powers. And Works. so that that tells you that his powers go so far beyond what you're seeing with your eyes. Yeah. So that should put to rest anybody's little fusses about the going around the world. (laughs) And if they have a problem with that, they can come talk to me. Me too, absolutely. (laughs) We'll step outside, you know, (laughs) after I have my powers removed so I don't hurt you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, hey, what are you doing with that knife? No. (laughs) (laughs) But so, you know, again, looking at at, at Tyler Hoechlin and just – how he represented number one, he let the costume do the work. Now it wasn't the perfect costume. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the the leather straps on the cape though. But I think they did that to to differentiate it from Supergirls. I don't. I think they didn't want an exact clone of her costume. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think they wanted them to look like Henry Cavill either. And they did a good job right. of, of keeping the modern costume idea that they've been using in the comics. Yeah, with no red trunks. Yeah. Yeah, and and I still say there's a better way of doing that. Yeah. But, you know, 
Yeah. Okay, go with the red belt. But you know the the cape and the the costume still said Superman, and the S symbol on his chest was perfect. Yep. You know, a much better than what we saw on um, Brandon Routh. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm still I, I do like the costume that he got for Henry Cavill. I still, again, don't feel great about the the no red trunks thing. I still like my Superman bright primary colors, though, too. Maybe I'm old school that way. Maybe it doesn't necessarily work that well on a screen, but that's what I want to see, man. I don't know. It's, it's all about Superman being so iconic. Mm-hmm. I, that's just how you have to present him, and I, I don't care how many different variations of him you want to do in the comics. I think if you're going to put him up on screen as limited time as he ever gets on screen... You just got to go iconic. I mean, you've got to try to. It's all about sucking in a new generation. It's not about. I mean, and I'm almost a hypocrite saying that because Tyler Hochins was definitely, you know, meant to trigger our Chris Reeve response. I mean, they had flat out. Yeah, there was reference. You know, callbacks to the to the movies and and the cat's new assistant's name, which I won't spoil here, and and the talking about the earthquake that happened that Lex Luthor caused, and you know, it's like, well, seventy eight Superman actually happened, yay, (laughs) you know. Yeah, yeah, so they were definitely. I mean, Berlanti and the crew that that writes those shows. I mean, they are all old school fans like us. Yeah, you know. And they, they just pump their shows full of that stuff for us and, and still have enough there for for new people and people that like the grit and the, the darkness and all that. Um, and I think you can strike a balance, man. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Right, right. And I think if we see more of him, I think we're, we're going to get that. And I think, um, well, I think he's well-fleshed out character. He yeah. had maybe 15 minutes total screen time on this. Yeah, and, and most of the time it was sharing with everybody else, especially Supergirl. So, you know, if they give him more screen time, will they be able to maintain the what the presence that they've created so far? That's the big question. But that's what I want to see with Superman, too. He's supposed to be a people-friendly person. He's supposed to go out among the people and, you know, and save them, obviously. But he's also supposed to hang out and, and talk and, you know... And and accept his thank yous and and accept his glory, you know, humbly, humbly, but, yes, um, and wink at people and say jiffy and lickety split, <laughs> yes, you know, I mean it was and and they they were very self aware about that and it was just it was one of the funniest scenes, a minor spoiler, but that he's talking to Perry White on the phone and he says something like oh, I'll be there in a jiffy, Mister White, and and you know on the other end Perry's. Like, what the hell does a jiffy mean, basically? And he's like, well, you still say Great Caesar's Ghost, sir. <laughs> you know, and I was just, like, squeeing here in my living room when I was watching that. You know? Yeah, it'll be interesting if we get to see a Perry White down the road somewhere. Yeah. And, and it's not I, Lenny or Squiggy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the well, I was sitting there thinking about um, what they can do down the road. And if, if they bring him back, and they, they definitely are going to bring him back just because I think they, you know, they can't say that they had a rating spike because this is CW ratings, which is significantly different than, than CBS's ratings. Yeah, I guess technically they lost like 3 million people, but I mean, that's. But time yeah, it was higher ratings and, for a yeah. show than, than CW is used to seeing. Right. And so, yeah, low ratings for CBS, high ratings for CW. And the thing is, is like if the well, the downside, of course, is CW doesn't get uh, doesn't uh, set up the uh, the DVR on demand things on on things like DirecTV that you can get from any other network, Uh, ABC, CBS, NBC. HBO, any of those, if you've got, say, DirecTV or Dish Network or whatever, once the show is aired, you can usually go back and just catch it on demand. Yeah. And you can't do that with CW shows. If you miss it the day that it airs, you know, if you have a power blackout or your network goes down or whatever. Yeah, um, and you didn't DVR it yourself. You didn't DVR it. The only way that you can watch it then is to go onto their website or use their web, their app for your smartphone. Or sail the briny seas and find yourself some pirates. Yeah. Right. And see, they don't. They don't even have an app for the PlayStation Four or PlayStation yeah. Three. 
They do have an app on the Xbox, so you can do that. Netflix has a a new deal with CW, though, that all their super shows, um, they're, like, putting up in their entirety just, like, literally, like, a day after the season ends. Oh, that's So, I mean, that's that's really cool. But, you know, the Berlantiverse is, you know, they're really paying good homage to things in the past, and yet they're still looking to the future. I like the way that, that they're handling it. There's one mistake or misstep that they made in this episode that I wish they would have done, and that is when Windshot got to meet Superman. Yeah. That Soup would have said, hey, how's your father? Yeah. You know, because yeah. you can figure Wind's father was in prison probably. Right. But, and, and while Super, you know, he's one of Superman's foes, that yeah. doesn't mean he's not going to be concerned. Is not right. going to recognize. Yeah. yeah, but there was no, there was wasn't even a nod to that, and and they've but, already made it obvious. And they've already stated that he is the the son of Toy Man. Yeah, but I, I don't know if they've established that Superman ever fought Toy Man in this universe or not. So I can't imagine he wouldn't have. But yeah, yeah, true, true. Now, is Jimmy Olsen going to be Elastic Lad or just uh, what we've seen? No, the Guardian. The actually. Guardian, I know, yeah. and that's a Cadmus thing. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of weird. So I'm wondering if that's if maybe he gets taken by Cadmus or something. Um, I don't know, and that's it's definitely interesting where they're going with that. I mean, and it's not spoiling it to say that Metallo is the main villain in this because that's been in the press, um, which is. You know, that, the best best choices you can make for Superman and Supergirl to fight together, I think. Yeah, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a nice little twist there. Right. Oh, yeah. And I won't yeah. spoil that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, they had, I think, you know, they, they did a great job. They, they didn't even overshadow Supergirl, uh, really, in the long run. The show was still about her. Yeah. And they gave you just enough Superman to make you go, give me more. Give yeah. Give me more of this. This makes me happy. And when you Which, see uh, Superman, you should walk away happy. Yeah, I mean, and he just, he nailed Clark. I mean, it's just, I really can't give props enough to that actor. I mean, it, it's all about the writing most of the time, but um, he, he just sold it, man. He, he sold it. He's not a conventional-looking Superman, though. I saw one idiot describe him as, you know, Paco from Portugal or something like that. I'm like, what? Yeah, I saw like, that too, and I was just on. like, that was ridiculous. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, D- Dean Kane himself is, what is he, half Japanese? Is he? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, yeah, he, yeah, he was estranged from his father, but if, 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 if I remember right. But, yeah, he's yeah. half Japanese or... or Maybe half Hawaiian, like. I mean, I, I would, I could care less if we had a black Superman. I mean, the guy's an alien. You know, you can't really make that argument. About he doesn't look white enough or something. Yeah. You know, it's like Idris, should be green with tentacles for fuck's sake. Idris because. Elba is Superman. Hey, I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> well, Idris Elba could have been the Martian Manhunter, and that would yeah. have been the most awesome thing. Maybe he could do him in the movie. Yeah, right. But, wow. but Ooh. you know, the the thing is, the guy that plays Luke Cage has the right voice to be the Martian Manhunter. That's that's one yeah. thing about Supergirl that, that I've not necessarily been happy with, and that's the characterization of the Martian Manhunter because he is, for lack of a better word, a stoic and yeah. so much more reserved than this Martian Manhunter and not quick to anger, and he likes his Oreos. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, none of those great things about his character have been revealed. I'm still just giddy that we're seeing Martian Manhunter on TV, so I I haven't even nitpicked that yet. But do you realize this is the third Martian Manhunter we've had for TV? Is it really? I, I know he was on Smallville, right? So yeah, he's on Smallville. He's played by the same guy that played Jackie Childs on Jerry Seinfeld, uh, the Seinfeld Show. Oh, okay. And the first Martian Manhunter was played by David Ogden Steers. Oh yeah, and the, the unreleased. Epstein. Yeah, I've seen most of that horrible thing. <laughs> Did you catch yeah. how they used the cut scenes from the Abyss in, the, no. in, that, in that Justice League? There's a, a real. I don't think I ever got through the whole thing. <laughs> as my friends refer to the Abyss, the director's cut, it has a really cool tidal wave scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, the tidal wave scene from that was actually used as stock footage in the Justice League <laughs> when ice froze the ocean. 
Yeah, well, they obviously had a budget of about $200, so... <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the thing that... It was funny, when I finally got around to watching that, um, the, 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 what disappointed me so much is that you've had all this Flash stuff going on for, like, what, three years, two years? Uh, you know, a great Flash costume. Yeah. That, that they had for and then, the, the John Wesley Shift show. And then they come up, and this guy is wearing spandex that is oh fit God. to burst. <laughs> yeah, you could you could tell what religion he was pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And the green the Green Lantern was just horrific. <laughs> uh, you know the thing is, if you're gonna do Guy Gardner, um, <laughs> you got to do him right, and they did not do him right. It was no, you, you, yeah, you, you cast someone like Stephen Lang when he was younger for oh, Guy Gardner. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but see, to me, Stephen Lang can do anything. Yeah. You want yeah. someone to play Jesus Christ, Stephen Lang. You sure. also want to play this shark in Jaws, Stephen Lang. Yeah. Hey, I once saw him in a production of uh, Death of a Salesman with Dustin Hoffman. It was amazing. Oh, was, that, was John Malkovich in that also? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, him yeah. and Lang were the two sons. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah, the great performances there. Yep. So you know, I guess in conclusion, you know, we're on board with Tyler Hoechlin as Superman on TV. I still say it's 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 like oh man. It's almost like be careful what you wish for type of situation because I really don't know how they juggle. If they did decide to go forward with a Superman show, no, I just know how you do that. You, you yeah. don't do that. You don't do that. What they did here, what they've done here is the most brilliant thing because they can make Superman be the Nick Fury of the, yeah. the, the Berlantiverse, okay? Yeah. He can show up on Arrow and The Flash. Well, see, I've read Legends that they're not they're not going to mold the two universes anytime soon, from what I read, uh, that they're going to do the crossover, but it's going to be essentially another Earth, one to Earth, whatever they're on type of thing. But the, what they've done with Flashpoint and what they're doing with all this is they're creating a situation where they can meld all the Earths. Oh, yeah. into one yeah. and that would just be and they should do that you know make it uh, the end yeah. of, maybe the end of this season or the next and that way you'd have that easy cross-pollination yeah and then it's just like you know the marvel movies that you know well so what you know tony stark's off doing something else so he can't show up in the ant-man movie but he's out there yeah you know? but legends of tomorrow makes it so easy to to, to cross-pollinate yeah. Because they're changing time all the time. I'd love to see Superman show up in that. That would be epic. <laughs> oh, that, that last scene in the first episode this season with the Justice Society coming down. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> I had a geekasm so bad I had to change the sheets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think I've said everything I wanted to say. I would just love to – I'm just a set giddy. I'm amazed I, – I, Honestly, I don't think I ever thought it would happen in my lifetime at this point um, to see another TV Superman and one that yeah. that I really, really like. The, so. the real world may suck right now, but we yeah. live in wondrous times. Uh, there's uh, right now a uh, scientist working on an actual faster-than-light drive. Yeah. yeah. There, there is communication that's being developed that can travel faster than light. That's crazy. There are devices right now where we will be able to work wirelessly completely, not just for communication, but for power. I mean, the phone in your hand could have powered every Apollo mission, you know, that we sent to the moon into space. It's, it's an amazing time. Have you seen the, uh, this new propulsion that they've got that doesn't, put out exhaust yeah it was something about they could reach mars in like 30 days or something it's S- 70 just... days is what they've got it at right now yeah. and yeah. this is this is what they're going to be using this is really what they want to use but there are real world down home applications here yeah and if you want to be tony stark yeah this is need, the technology need to do is have enough money not the current generation <laughs> of it but the next generation of that technology might allow individual personal flight 
Yeah, our DOD is already like looking into the you know, Department of Defense is already looking into like exoskeleton technology. So Iron Man is being built. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. The first, you know, the thing is, is that you, you in Iron Man two they had that great scene with uh, that was at the like the Senate committee and and yeah. Justin Hammer there, and they showed the <laughs> Justin Hammer's guys trying to you know use the armor and that guy's yeah, body twist. <laughs> You know, yeah. that guy, that guy did. Yeah, I'm sure he's okay. I'm yeah, sure yeah. he's okay. Yeah. yeah. But that's going to happen. We're going to have broken arms and legs if they actually oh, yeah. try to use that. And, and uh, some some very injured backs on the early attempts to get that, that kind of stuff to work it is so dangerous because yeah. you're dealing with a hyper, uh, you know, a, 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 a exoskeleton that's going to be able to move how you yeah. want to move machines making your body do stuff. It's not supposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's scary. But once they get it and get it right, that will be really, really cool, but it will suffer the same problems that a jet airplane has. Yeah. And that is when it gets hit by something, shit breaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you made the point about the world's in kind of a state of dread these days, as we are a lot of times in our history, um, and that just drives home, you know, to me more that man, if superheroes are nothing. They're supposed to be escapism, you know. They're supposed to put you in a better place than you are before you watch the thing. Yes. Um, and, and the one of the most brilliant line, and that's why I mean, people argue it's like, oh, it's dark times. We need a dark Superman. And I'm like, no, that's exactly when you need the opposite of a dark Superman. Mm-hmm. One of the most brilliant lines in the Avengers movie, I thought, was when um, Coulson's talking to Cap, and he tells him about the new costume. And then yeah. he kind of signed it, and he's like, isn't that a little hokey or whatever, you know, you know, or old fashioned? And yeah. you know, Coulson's like, with what the world's about to go through, a little old fashioned is needed right now and i agree you know it's like i hate to be one of those guys it's like i wish we could live in better times like the 50s and shit like that but um because every decade has its problems um but there really is something about iconic symbols that that can change the consciousness of a people or at least improve it a little bit even if for just an hour and I think that's sorely needed these days. So I am all for winking Superman, let's say Jiffy and Lickety Split, anytime you want to give it to me. Swell. <laughs> yeah, swell. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, thanks a lot um, for, yeah, for jumping on this with me. I just, it, I, I think I needed to get those thoughts out. And uh, I, yeah, obviously, you had something to say there, too. So uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure there's other that. people talking to us, you know, as they listen to this trying to say, hey, what about this? What about that? Whatever. You know, I, I, I hope we get to see a Dr. Fate soon. I liked seeing him on, yeah. on Smallville. I like, on I, Const- we got to see his helmet on Constantine, and I was oh, like, yes, please, please, please. I miss Constantine. <laughs> I really enjoyed that show. I did, too. It had its problems with the writing, but, I mean, the, the guy, Matt Ryan, just nailed that part so well. I mean, I, didn't, I haven't even read any Hellblazer or anything. Me I kind of know about the character peripherally, but he just sold that character to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he, is, he was the kind of character that that we needed to see handling stuff like that. And, yeah. and you know, he, he was in the, uh, I think it was... Chris Claremont that that uh, put this verbiage into words, and that is, he was so certain of what he's doing that it makes him ruthless. Yeah. But as in the job that he has to do, in the 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 hell that he has to fight, you have to be that kind of ruthless. Well, and confident. I mean, I want to see confident heroes. Right. I don't want to see heroes that are doubting their every move and, exactly. and, and moping about what people think about them. And it's like you do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Hope people see you as a hero, you know, and you try to do it in heroic ways so people will see you as a hero. I think I think that's why Arrow has changed so much since the first season. Because mm-hmm. in the first season, he was a killer. Yeah, and he's actually gone back to that a bit. Um, yeah, see, I, kind of the, it's it's the one Berlanti show that I ha- have not watched with regularity. Mm-hmm. I, I tried watching the first season and I just couldn't stay with it. It wasn't wasn't for me. I was actually sitting there almost saying, "Man, I'd, I'd rather bring Justin Hartley back," you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but 
I always read good things about that, and they were talking about spinning him off for a while there, and I was waiting for it. I'm like, yeah, give me a Green Arrow show. Yeah, and why then, not? And then they made an Aquaman pilot with Justin yeah. Hartley yeah. as Aquaman. And I, I, I tried watching that, and that was bad also. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, I, 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 I'll tell you, I don't know what you're thinking of it, but I really enjoy Gotham myself. <laughs> I have never watched an episode. Uh, I just, as I've said before, I just am not down with the concept of it at all. I'm the kind of person that, I don't know, I guess I'm in this mindset of that, and it's been addressed in the comics and, and other things in the movies even that, you know, and very well in the Dark Knight, I thought. And, and not a lot of people are, I mean, there are a lot of fans of Dark Knight, but um, I guess it's, not a lot of our fellow freaks like it, or at least I know Gardner didn't. Um, but that Batman creates his villains, and that there shouldn't be his entire rogues gallery in, in existence before he becomes Batman. That's just my biggest nitpick with the show. So I just can't even get on board with it as a basic concept. I just really can't. What I'd like to see, just like a, a good drama of Bruce Wayne growing up and becoming Batman, sure, but I just don't like everything else they've done with it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, there's, there's things on there that are really good. I actually liked how they handled the, uh, you know, everybody's waiting to see the Joker, you know. Yeah. Everybody thinks, is this guy the Joker? Is that guy the Joker? And, and how they've handled that was brilliant. And, no, it's... And, and and you know, you haven't seen it, so you don't know. The yeah, sli- I'm, I'm sure there's some fine writing and acting going on. I'm just, for me, the Joker doesn't exist till Batman throws Red Hood in Nevada Chemicals. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's it. No, 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 no. And you're right. But yeah. what they've done here is they've kind of, they, they, they set you up to sit there and say, this is a Joker. And then, no, he's not. Yeah. Oh, this is a Joker. No, he's not. And so, yeah. you know, it's like. Okay, that's good because the the one the one thing they they told you in the very first season is they killed off a character that we know of and like mm-hmm. in the Batman mythos, and you're just like, wait, what, wait a minute, you can't do that, and then they completely screwed up what we thought was another one, hmm, yeah. and and so you're like, whoa, okay, anything can happen here. Yeah, it, it's Anything. an Elseworlds tale. You know, that, that's the beauty of the comic universe is, is there's always an imaginary story or an Elseworlds. Was an imaginary story a Marvel thing or was that DC too? Uh, DC started off with the imaginary story in okay. you know, the death of Superman and, and Superman in a million years or whatever. But, right, right, and Marvel just did their what-ifs, which is exactly. a, a lost start, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, D- DC had, you know, the Elseworlds. They had the, the oh, what's that line? Uh, not Epic. Epic's Marvel. But DC had kind of an adult line of books with uh, Black Lord. Oh, Vertigo. Vertigo, yeah. Yeah. You had the Vertigo line, which also could have been its own Elseworlds kind of thing. Yeah. You never knew if the characters were part of DC proper or, you know, that extra universe outside that should well, the, the great after The great crisis. tie-in they did with that was, uh, and if no one's read it, it's like one of the seminal comic series of all time is Sandman and mm-hmm. early Sandman comics incorporated a lot of you know made a lot of connections with dc uh including house of mystery you know and yeah. some really old old school dc stuff that, that was just brilliant to, to tie in so you always knew that morpheus could show up in in dc comics if he wanted to um, well in see it didn't hellblazer actually come from the vertigo books was yeah, he, he's of... mentioned in Sandman too. He's he's Be... dealt with it in, in Sandman as well. Constantino's. Yeah, but yeah. see, he's in Crisis on Infinite Earths in like, yeah. the fourth issue. So uh, they make and he uh, he was part of a big part of Swamp Thing too, wasn't he? Yeah. So that was yeah, and I'm there. I'm so psyched uh, for the uh, animated Justice League Dark that's coming out with oh, Matt right. Ryan as Constantine again. Yes, too. yes, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that too. You know, yeah. they, they they made a number of good good animated movies that were tied to great comics. Yeah, and lately they've gotten past all the stuff I'm familiar with. Yeah, and they've they've done mostly like the yeah. new Fifty Two. I watched like uh, Wide well, Flashpoint and and War and uh, Doom was great, but I wasn't a real fan of of War and uh, Flashpoint. But I actually liked Flashpoint. I found it touching, 
but at, at the same time, it was it completely undid all the things I knew of the Flash from my silver and bronze age, you know, uh, knowledge. And then of course, uh, it it didn't deal with anything Wally West wise, which uh, yeah. you know the Mike Barron uh, run on on the Flash. Some people love it, some people hate it. I think I think it's genius. It's brain. It's uh, I, I thought that that Mike Barron was the Sam Shepard of comic book writing. <laughs> nice, yeah. And if you're familiar with Sam Shepard's writings, uh, yeah. True West mm-hmm. is a great example. In fact, in the very first issue of The Flash, uh, they see Wally West buying his lottery tickets, and there's a at a newsstand, and on the newsstand is a poster board for True West by Sam Shepard. Oh, nice. So yeah. I, you know that that he's a fan, and there's definitely. Uh, you know he's he's reading him and sitting there thinking about that when he's writing. I did start buying the Flash for a little while back. I'm assuming it was the '80s, and then like a few episodes in, the parasite killed Iris or something, and then I gave up. I'm like, shit. <laughs> Wait now now was it so your post crisis or pre crisis? I think it must have been pre. In pre crisis, in fact, the, you know this is part of my comic book origin. Yeah. Uh, that you know, I mean, I started buying getting comic books from the age of four. Yeah, me and, too. And but I, I mean, it was always sporadic and exactly. But when, when I, mom and dad would give me a quarter and I'd pick something off the right, rack. Right. Yeah. But when I was buying stuff week to week, one of the first titles that I was getting was The Flash, and the very first issue that I went out and bought was the one where Iris got killed. Mm-hmm. That was my first comic book death. Am I right? Am I remembering that correctly? It was, was Parasite, she, right? No, she was killed by... Well, it, it was originally thought to be this uh, kind of a, uh, a big... Not, not Bigfoot, but kind of a, a, a hide sort of person. But uh-huh. it wound up actually being the reverse Flash. Okay. Professor Adrian Zoom from the from the future. Not, not the, maybe not that was the I mean, maybe she had been murdered and it was just the parasite kind of showed up at the end of it. And... Well, the thing is, is what they ultimately reveal at the very end of the Flash series was that Iris is actually from the future <laughs> and that her mind went to the future when she was killed. Okay. And so she comes back when Barry is, uh, I don't even remember if he was found guilty or not guilty of killing reverse flash he uh he uh killed reverse flash preventing him from killing his fiance fiona when on, on his wedding day saying not yeah. again not again not again so he goes yeah. on trial as they're getting ready to find him you know it's like he gets pulled off to the future uh, with iris and winds up going to the future and living out the rest of his days before crisis on infinite earths oh okay and you know in crisis on infinite earths he runs to his death yeah yeah. And uh, so, but he got to spend the rest of his time with Iris, who was still alive in the future. Though we never actually saw her physically, so I don't know how they represented that. I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit that I, I finally have read all of Crisis for the first time in the last couple of years. Uh, so I'm, I'm way behind the curve on that one, but, but amazing series, obviously. It, it is an amazing series, but I think that that it, it suffers. From I, I love the work that Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey had been doing on their recap of Crisis mm-hmm. on Infinite Earths because they're giving you that gigantic peak all around the DC universe. They're not just talking about what's happening in that particular issue of the book, but all the other stuff that ties into it. Oh, yeah, because that's like, talk about a basket full of Easter eggs. Oh, I my. mean, that's the ultimate basket full of Easter eggs. <laughs> it, was, it was the first yeah, it, was, yeah it, was, it really was. It was the yeah. first, you know, just company-wide crossover that touched every book yeah. and changed everything you knew. Worlds lived, worlds died, nothing was ever the same. And when you sit there and just read that by itself, you know, you're like, wait, what's this and where does that go and how's this and what's there? And, like, and of course, you if you're reading it in the uh, the trade paperback, it doesn't tell you what other books to go see to look at. Yeah, you got to do I, research to sit there and figure out. Okay, I want to find out about Blue Devil, or I want to find out about this character here, Constantine, or. or yeah, I mean it's brilliant from a marketing. That's you know the the crossover thing that that eventually started running rampant a little bit. Um, yeah, was was brilliant marketing technique definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, definitely a way to get people to look up your, your past issues of stuff. Um, but I actually have to run and go pick up one of the founding freaks from work, so oh. I'm going to uh, cut this uh, short. Is, oh, no, no, no. I, I honestly didn't expect us to go this long, and I should, yeah. should okay, kick no. myself in the butt for thinking that because we always run long. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> we, nerds, we nerds like to chat, apparently. Um, and and you're, you're cutting this one, right, man? Because uh, I got two, three-hour you know, three podcasts. I am just this. going to you know, take out any extraneous conversation from the front and the back. And pop it up there with no music. That'll work. I mean, it doesn't need anything. It is just, you know, what we've got here. Um, and hopefully, you have like you have like the five minute freak uh, opening and everything. No, or? if you could put that in Dropbox, that'd be great. Yeah, let me uh, get back from from him, and I'll I'll get that right over to you. Okay, thanks a lot. Cool. Talk to you later, Brian. Take care. Bye. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed our show. But now we have to bore you with the little disclaimers that we're supposed to use to keep us out of jail or out of debt. Any and all music used on our podcast is owned by the respective owners. And the use of their music is for entertainment or review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, as are you should fall under fair use. The opinions of the podcasters are, well, the opinions of podcasters. So if you're taking them seriously, you really should email them to let them know. They have such fragile egos. Feedback for this episode can be sent to Brian Hughes at andyhugh at gmail.com. That's I-N-D-Y-H-U at gmail.com. Do you ever shop at Amazon.com? If you do, please use the link at the top of the Two True Freaks homepage to get to Amazon.com. The freaks get a small cut of your sale and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Wins all around. Thank you for listening to this Two True Freaks production. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else.